Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Today's uh, scripture, as we get into it, looking at the real Jesus, is in Mark 7, and it's going to be on your screen, but if you have your Bible and would like to open that, it's Mark 7, 14 through 23. And it reads this, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear, Jesus says. And after he left the crowd and entered the house, it goes on to say, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said, are you so dull? He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And verse 20, he went on and said, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And all of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Lord, I ask that your presence would be with us today as we uh, seek to understand what you're telling us. Lord, would you speak to each one of our hearts right where we're at? Would you bring to mind the things that we need to think about in the next few moments? And would you touch us by the power of your Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know about you, but this, t- this text strikes me in two different ways. It strikes me as being uh, kind of cliche at first. We've all heard motivational stories about how we need to change from the inside out and not from the outside in, right? We've all heard that. But whenever we hear that, do you ask the same question I ask? I hear, I hear speeches on that on a regular basis, and my question is always, but how? How? What am I doing that is changing from the outside in, and what does it take to change from the inside out? I don't get it. And the second, I think, answer, the reaction to this, this uh, text for many of us is, is simply this. Who cares about these ancient clean laws? Who cares about the fact that if I touch a dead body, I'm not to go out in public? If I touch bodily excrements from somebody else, I can't worship and I can't go around people for a while. All these laws that Jesus is referring to that the Old Testament talks about, who really cares about those things because they don't really relate to today? What does it have to do with me today? And because of those two things, for me, when I read passages, in fact, even in preparing for this message, as I, as I was reading ahead and reading this passage, my first response was to just gloss over this and move through it. But it does relate to us. It relates to us powerfully, amazingly. And just to set it up, this, this short video kind of sets up how it relates to us. So just pay attention to the screens. I've always lived my life by a certain moral code. Decent, honest, upstanding. A few regrets, not a lot. But now I wonder. Things don't look the same. What had always seemed harmless and insignificant now carries a certain contempt or a stench or a stain. I don't know how I didn't see it in the past. So I decided to change live a life of honor, dignity, substance, work harder, be a more agreeable person, find value in other people, add value to this world, 
but whatever I did seemed incomplete and temporary. My change wasn't of substance. It was superficial. And then it hit me. What I was trying to do was impossible. Humans can do amazing things, but one thing we cannot do with all of our wisdom and experience and ingenuity is to truly change. Change at the depths of our soul. Sheer will and a commitment to improving our lives might be noble, but in reality, it's just a facade. Is a clean slate possible? Is a clean slate possible? See, it's easy for us to look at these laws and say, ah, we don't relate to those clean things, but regardless of what we think about sin, regardless of what we think about judgment, regardless of what we think about life. We all struggle with the one question, the one feeling, the one drive that drives us at the core of our being. And that's the drive to be clean, to be whole. We all cry, make me clean, God. And Jesus in this verse, as we look at it, even though he disagrees with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, as to what unclean really is, Jesus in verse 23 does say that we are all unclean. And the reason we gloss over it is because we don't label it that way today. We, may, we still struggle it, but we don't label it necessarily as unclean. So let me illustrate how we label it otherwise. Uh, how many of you ever walk uh, through your house in the morning or in the evening when it's quiet? maybe after a long day, and this thought from the past hits you. And it's not a happy thought. It's one of those thoughts that makes you grimace, and it's ma- it makes you react, and it makes you call yourself stupid because of a memory that may have happened even a decade or two ago. Anybody have those experiences where you're walking along in quiet, and that kind of thing happens? It's this cry in our heart when that comes up that we're deficient. We're unclean. We're not whole. We're guilty. Franz Kafka, a writer from the 20th century, wrote a book called The Trial. And I've just read a summary of it. I don't think I'm going to read the whole book because it sounds depressing. But in the book, he writes about Joseph K. And Joseph K. is this guy who gets arrested and he doesn't know why. And they take him from one prison to another, from one trial to another, from one interrogation to another, and nobody ever tells him why he was arrested. And the whole story is surrounding that. And and you see how Joseph K. walks through life in 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 this experience he's having. And he goes, he eventually doubts. He says, maybe, maybe I really need to be here. Maybe I did this. Maybe I did that. And no matter what he thinks about it, in his mind, logically, he doesn't think, oh, that's bad enough to have gotten me arrested. But he still doubts. He's constantly doubting. And isn't that so much like our lives as well? Just another way of illustrating how we make this cry to be clean. We go through life and life hits hard and life doesn't go the way we want it to. Work is more difficult or family life is more difficult than we want it to be. And we start doubting. We start asking ourselves questions. Where did I go wrong? What's wrong with me? Kafka later comments in his diary about the meaning of this book. He says, uh, to paraphrase, he says, We live in a world quite independent of guilt. 
We don't have categories for sin. We don't have categories today for heaven and hell for judgment because today pop psychology and all the relativism around us dispenses of guilt in a way that says we shouldn't feel anything like that. And yet Kafka goes on to say there is a deep, profound sense in all of us that we are not good enough. Even when we don't have solid evidence to tell us we're not good enough, even when everything should tell us we are, that we have this nagging feeling that if we were examined, we would not be good enough. We would not be acceptable. We would not be whole. We'd be unclean. We go through life in other ways. We, how many of us talk about this or have conversations about this on a regular basis where we go through and we talk about the fact, I'm this way because... I was raised in a home that X, Y, and Z did all this. I was, re- I was abused by my first spouse, and therefore I'm this way. And we talk about our complexes and, and blame. You see, even if you aren't sure about heaven and hell, about sin, about judgment, about this whole idea of being unclean, the reality is we all feel at some level of our being somehow tainted, somehow sullied, somehow broken, unwhole, unclean. And this drive, this drive to be made clean, to want to be clean, I would, I would say is the most powerful drive that controls us all, that we face on a regular basis. So second, we all have our ways of making ourselves clean as well. This passage talks a little bit about that. And most of it's outside-in stuff. We create these systems, we create these rules, these external rules that create a system to help us try to change, but it never really leads there. How many of you have ever created accountability systems in your life for something you struggle with? You know, maybe we always hear it around the the topics of pornography or sexual sin or things like that. That's the easiest probably to illustrate because we talk about that the most, right? We create all these accountability systems, what we will and won't do in relationships. We create internet filters. We create all of these things in our life. And yet, at some point, those systems are going to fail us. Aren't they? They always do. At some point, they fail us. And then we feel worse about ourselves and we still feel unclean. I remember a number of years ago, I went through this intense time of temptation just in an area that normally I wasn't tempted in. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And all all the time throughout then, I put in these systems. In fact, I did the right things in terms of backing away in most of areas. I did the right things in terms of backing away from the temptation, removing myself from the source of it so I would not act on it. I did all these things. But in spite of that, the temptation got worse. It got more intense. All of us will at some point get frustrated. Because systems can only do so much. Rules can only do so much. Telling ourselves the right things, quoting ourselves the right scriptures, telling us how to think in life can only do so much. It's much like the Sabbath laws of Jesus' day. They created hundreds of rules to try to get themselves to observe the Sabbath, and yet it still didn't solve the issue of feeling unclean, not good enough. It was all about performance. And it's not that the boundaries and the rules are necessarily bad. 
In fact, I would still recommend the same boundaries and rules for many of us that I had in place in my issue of temptation and in many of the things that you guys put in place. But Jesus pinpoints the problem. It says in verse 20, he went on, he says, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's hearts, come evil thoughts. And then he lists all these things, and all these evils come from inside. He summarizes at the end and says, And make a man, a woman, unclean. Jesus says it's a heart issue. Change happens from the inside out. For so many of us, we create rules, we create boundaries, we create systems that control our behavior. But our hearts never fully change. Our hearts always struggle. No matter how hard we tell ourselves we're forgiven, no matter how hard we tell ourselves that Jesus loves us, no matter how hard we tell ourselves that Jesus has a good plan for us, all of those things are true and we should be telling ourselves those things. Yet our hearts still feel unclean. And temptation for us remains strong. It just doesn't cut it, does it? All the religions of the world, pop psychology, and most Christians are trying to change from the outside in by putting all these things in place. And it just doesn't cut it. And when we realize that, Inevitably for all of us, it puts us in the position where we have a hard time with God. Because when we think and face that issue for all of us, and it's, it naturally gets us to the point where we say, well, this infinite, all-knowing, all-good, all-powerful God, it can't be Him, so it has to be me. I'm unclean. I'm the one who's not acceptable. I'm the one who's not good enough. And we always end up blaming ourselves. And Jesus speaks clearly that the outside in never, never changes the heart. And yet outside in just doesn't affect us in, in religion alone. It affects us in life in general. Let me, let me illustrate this from borrowing from a series of illustrations that Tim Keller uses. Uh, outside in is the way we approach politics in life. We see it all the time in history. Uh, we see it most uh, best at times that are difficult in history. For instance, in World War II, the, uh, you see it in the, the British intellectuals' writings after World War II where they found their worldview of progress, their, their worldview of everything getting better because of science, because of education, because of government going down the tubes. And we see writers from that day like Lord David Cecil writing, saying the philosophy of progress had led us to believe that the savage, savage and primitive was behind us. But it turns out it was within us. A guy named C.E.M. Jode in 1952 wrote a book. He was a, prior to that an avowed agnostic philosopher and very influential in his writing. Wrote the book, The Recovery of Belief. And he says it is because we rejected the doctrine of original sin that we found ourselves completely unable, unable to deal with the bitter realities of war and holocaust. Dorothy Sayers, another writer from the time, an Oxford graduate, a renowned English writer, and a Christian essayist, puts voice to the intellectual world of the day in her book, Creed and Chaos. And she says, We were given to believe that we were basically good, evolving higher, essentially teachable. And so the appalling outburst of bestial brutality in the totalitarian states, the stupid, endless greed of capitalist society were inexplicable. 
not just shocking, she says, not just alarming. They were the utter negation of everything we were led to believe. And yet we still approach so many of our problems today through politics like we have for the last few centuries, believing that we can solve our problems by social structures, by education, by, re- by doing religion rightly, or, or by technology, or by solving the disparity of wealth issues, that we can solve our problems. But history continually repeats itself and says that doesn't work. The outside in doesn't work. I mean, even recently, why are we so discouraged and disillusioned by government today? Sudan, Rwanda in our lifetimes, Bosnia, war on terrorism. Government hasn't been able to solve those things. Now all of a sudden we have a greater fear than we did in the Cold War of of nuclear bombs going off because of access to terrorism. We have governments that we thought would never fail that are in debt crisis, including our own. And everything we thought was stable was gone away. Why else would we not have such disillusionment with our government and our culture today? Because it's no wonder when we realize, when we have the realization of capitalism and we see that it doesn't work, when we have seen the realization of socialism and we see it doesn't work, when we have seen the realization of liberalism and that doesn't solve it, and when we've seen the realization of conservatism and that doesn't solve it either. Because within each of us and within each one of those systems, it's the uncleanness of heart that just gets expressed in a different way. Change has to happen differently. Belief in politics as an answer is an outside-in approach, and it will not work. But we also see it in popular culture. There's a gal named Christina Kelly, who uh, is a former editor of L, Girl, YM, Jane, and Sassy magazines, and why do I know that? Because I heard somebody else use the illustration. (laughs) Kelly wrote a book asking, why do we crave celebrities? That was the premise of her book. And her proposed idea that mirrors so many other people's thoughts in the last couple centuries in writing is that to be human is to be inconsequential. So we worship celebrities. We follow their lives. We follow their fashion trends. We follow what's going on. Our moods even get affected by whether they're happy or or sad, why the celebrities we like are doing well or they're not doing well. And we follow them And we identify with them to escape our own sense of being inconsequential. And to paraphrase Kelly uh, in her further statement, she said, this celebrity worship is so dumb. In the face of all these perfectly sculpted, photoshopped, liposuctioned, implanted, made-up stars, it's impossible for us to be like them, to compare, to measure up. And yet we do try. And then she goes on to say this about herself. She says, I am part of this whole process as an editor. And it is no wonder I feel so soiled, her way of saying unclean. It's no wonder that I feel so soiled at the end of the day. You see, even if, even if we don't relate to or believe in the term sin anymore, we have this sense of being inconsequential. We have this sense of being incomplete, of not being good enough, of not being acceptable, of somehow being unclean. 
and we focus so much of our time and effort and our emotional energy and money on being clean on the outside. When it comes to popular culture, we try to make sure we look right, we have the right things, we do the right things, we're part of the right clubs, we're part of the right social networks, and we put so much energy into those things and so much money into those things. And yet, for some of us, we may not relate to that, and yet it affects all of us even more deeply than that. Let's think about ministry. We have so many of you involved in ministry here, and thank you. It's, it's an amazing uh, commitment that all, that all of you are making. We have so many more people involved in ministry than so many churches, and I'm so pleased with that. And yet, let me ask you the question, why do you involve yourself in ministry? Why do ministers, why do volunteers in church, why do we volunteer and be involved in ministry? Is it, it's noble, divine destiny, right? It's noble ideals, right? It's great motivations. And yeah, it is, to a certain extent, for all of us, because God does clearly say He's got good works planned for us to do ahead of time, works that will bring joy to others, bring joy to us, and bring change and difference in people's lives. So we go into the ministry whether it's volunteer or as a pastor, with these noble motivations. But our reality so often is that if we have a great Sunday school class that we teach, if we do a great Bible study in the small group, if I or another minister preaches a great sermon, we feel disproportionately good about that. And yet if we have a sermon that bombs, if we have a Sunday school class that bombs, if we have a a Bible study that we lead in a small group that bombs, we feel disproportionately bad about ourselves as well. Because a lot of us are still working outside in. And when the affirmation, when the worthiness isn't up to snuff, we feel it so desperately and want something more. Let's read the text again. He went on. It says, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So why read it again? You're probably thinking that. Ross, you already read that. It's the third time. Why read it again? Let me ask a question. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to the crowd, right? And there's probably a bunch of sinners in the crowd, right? But who is Jesus responding to when he says this? Isn't it the religious leaders? Isn't he responding to the people who are not viewed by everybody else as sinners, who are viewed by as moral paragons in the community, the people we should, uh, we should be treating as role models? And before I make the point that I want to make out of this, let me, let me illustrate it. Years ago, Wendy and I, probably about 19 years ago, Wendy and I had a really wonderful friendship with a couple for several years since we've lost track with them. They were just wonderfully giving, wonderful people, loved to be around them. They were just so generous, and they also liked nice things. They had a wonderful house, a great place to entertain. He had a preference for Mercedes, like a very strong preference, wouldn't drive anything but a Mercedes. And... At one point in our friendship with them, it became very clear that they were trying to deal with their sense of uncleanness by spending beyond their abilities. And everything came crashing down, and God came crashing into their life, and they repented of 
let's just face it, their worship of money. They repented of that and decided to change. And they be, their religious fervor increased and changed. They started studying the Bible more. They were more faithful at church. They were leading small groups even more faithfully and doing everything more faithfully. And they were more outspoken about their beliefs, talking to people about their faith on a regular basis. And they were unbending. And they became rigid and even abrasive in their faith. You see, the fundamental issue Jesus wants to get at is the change of heart in all of us. Where we get our sense of significance, where we get our sense of power, where we get our sense of wholeness, of goodness, of cleanness from. And when the heart is not changed, that drive to be clean can be as easily expressed through sin as it can be expressed through religion and faith. You've seen it. You've seen the alcoholic trade their alcoholic addiction for religion and become almost annoying you've seen it for many of us the reasons we do good and the reasons we do bad are actually all motivated by the same drive the drive to be clean but Jesus says we're unclean we're unfit for the presence of God, and yet He came to make us clean, to treat us as clean. And even when we don't fully measure up, even when we're not fully yet clean, He wants us to have that sense. So how do we get to the point that our hearts can accept that and that the need within us, that drive within us to be clean can be tamed and we can live in peace and contentment even when we're not fully measuring up yet. You know, I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago in San Diego when we were visiting there and seeing a bunch of friends, and, and, and actually several of them I had the same conversation with. They'd been going through some really difficult times, and we just talked about it, and they said, you know, Ross, he said, you know, the words don't help. I can tell myself all the right things. I can read the right scriptures and it doesn't change it. You see, words have little power to change your heart, to help in that dissonance between God saying you're forgiven and yet I know I'm still screwing up. I'm still messed up and I'm not perfect yet. And yet He says He wants to treat me as though I'm fully clean and justified and yet I'm not there. And words don't always help. And you see, when I was going through this time of intense temptation in my own life, telling myself the right things, quoting Scripture to myself, making great effort to distance myself from the source of temptation, all that stuff, it wasn't enough. I would submit to us this very fact. The heart is not changed by words, but by experience. By being touched by being affirmed, by being loved, by being held, even in the moments where we feel inconsequential, where we feel like we're not worthy, where we're unclean, even in those moments when people touch us, hold us, accept us, the experience is what changes our hearts. It's presence, the presence of God and others that change our hearts. You know, for me, temptation ceased when I told another But even then, it didn't fully change. It didn't fully change until I started to spend more time worshiping God and experiencing His presence. 
because the heart is changed by presence, not by words. Dusty, uh, Melissa and Dusty, if you want to come. Dusty referred me to this artist and this song that you're going to hear in a moment. And the amazing testimony of this man. The man's name is Johnny Lang. Some of you who are into blues may recognize him. At the age of 15, he uh, recorded his first album that went platinum. And uh, he's toured and opened for Aerosmith and Rolling Stones and all the biggest names in Motown and blues. Uh, He's been Grammy nominated. uh, And yet he dealt with his uncleanness, his desire and his drive to be clean, to not feeling good enough about himself, not feeling whole. He dealt with it by going after false things, by sinful things, by addictions, trying to give himself that feeling of being whole. And then he describes in his testimony, and I'll actually put a link so you can read his whole testimony if you'd like to this week in the after the message, but he describes in his testimony how one night he's with a friend after, their, after her dad had died, and they were very close friends to him, very influential in his life, and God's presence came and touched him in just a powerful way, and he talks about it in his song. You see, the Bible teaches that when we surrender our lives to Christ, when we declare Him the leader of our life, that He sends His Holy Spirit, that He fills us with His Holy Spirit, with His very presence to be a part of our lives. Because it's only in the experience of God, it's only in the experience of the presence of God that that dissonance between what we are and what God says we are when we are forgiven finds peace. Johnny Lang's song is only a man, and it describes his experience and his changed heart. As you listen to it, I want you to listen for two things. I want you to prayerfully listen and allow God to allow his voice, as he starts out early in the song, expressing his angst, his frustration of his drive to want to be clean. I want you to listen and allow God to put voice to your same drive that you need God to make you clean in. And then towards the end of the song, he actually, there's actually, he builds this chorus in where he's expressing his heart to God and God's answering back. Would you allow yourself in those moments to let God sing those same things over you and just say, God, tell God what he wants to speak to you? Gave 
us to treat our faith as rules, as things we do, things we attend. It's so easy for us to even treat our worship experiences when we come together here as nice, beautiful songs we sing. And yet the Holy Spirit is here, and He wants to be real to you. just wait a, a couple minutes. I want to invite you to do something. Maybe you've done this before, maybe you haven't. I just want you to invite you to just close your eyes quietly and just say, Holy Spirit, come. Would you fill me? Would you come make yourself real to me? This is the essence of what we talk about. Even if you're here and, and you are not sure of your faith, when we talk about God can make himself real to you, he can prove himself real to you. We don't have to do that for him. It's you inviting him to come and touch you. So even if you don't believe, take a risk. Just 
just pray. Just close your eyes and say, Holy Spirit, come. Make yourself real to me. Expect him to bring a thought to you. Expect him to speak over you. Expect him to sing over you. Just like this song was having uh, God sing over Johnny Lang as he wrote this song. us to be worshipers, not memorizers. Memorizing can help us worship. Some of you walked in this morning um, questioning whether God could love you. And his answer to you today is he can. He does. 
I'm here. I want to be real with you. Some of you related very strongly to the illustration that you've put in lots of accountability structures. You've put in lots of rules and you've told yourself the right thing and in spite of that, you still find yourself being even more intensely at times tempted. And God's inviting you to a different way to live. A way of experiencing His presence that's going to bring rest to those areas of your life. I want to invite you if uh, you relate to either one of those things, to not leave without having somebody pray for you, pray with you. It's a mystery. Why does God work through us? Why does God call us to be a church? Why does God choose to call anybody to be a pastor or anybody to be a leader in a church? Because everybody's imperfect. Nobody merits anything, and yet God has chosen to work through us to bless each other. And one of the ways He does that is for people as imperfect as you are to sometimes pray for you and God chooses to show up in those moments and become real. So would you do that today? God bless. Have a good week. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.